Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. What's going on? Everybody okay? They got a call, said there was trouble in the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you all need to look around. It's a little wet for practice, don't you think? Don't the girls have schoolwork to do? They do their homework. Tundi's first in her class. Lynn and Isha are too. Now I don't even mind you saying we hard on these kids. You know why? Because we are. That's our job, to keep them off these streets. You want to check on the kids? Let's check on the kids. We got future doctors and lawyers, plus a couple tennis stars in this house. The chances of achieving the kind of success that you're talking about is just very, very unlikely. Okay, you're making a mistake, but I'm gonna let you make it. Watch me hit a few balls. All right. So tell me your names again. I'm Venus. I'm Serena. So what'd you think? Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here at Lighthouse. How many of you have seen that movie, King James? Yeah, just a few of you. Uh, it's a great movie about the growing up of Venus and Serena Williams. And, uh, and I will tell you, they had the cards stacked against them, right? They, they weren't rich. They wanted to play tennis. They were from Compton, and they weren't white. So they had a lot of things going against them, but that didn't stop their father, King Richard in this movie, um, from pushing them and challenging them and encouraging them to succeed. And eventually they did succeed at a young age even. So at the age of 15, Venus signed a contract with Reebok for $12 million. I'd say she was succeeding. But then she went on to win Wimbledon five times and became the first African-American woman to be ranked number one in the world. Serena, her little sister, would win the Grand Slam championship 23 times, quite a, quite a few. Um, considered by many to be the greatest female tennis player of all time. Now, how many of you love movies like that, stories like that, where, you know, the, the cards are stacked against them and they still come back and they win, they succeed? Here's just a few movies that I love. Uh, Rudy was one of those, Invincible, Rocky... Rocky's not true, but it's kind of true to me, you know, but it's just great, great movies. We love stories like that, don't we? But we all know this, for every Rocky, for every uh, Williams sisters, um, there are really thousands who try, and then they don't succeed, right? They try maybe once or twice, and then they don't make the team, and so they, they never try the sport again, or maybe they try to, to go to college and, and fail a couple of exams, and so they give up and, and, and stop going to college. Maybe they try out for or, or apply for a promotion at work, and they get overlooked, right? You can kind of see the pattern. And, and so they get overlooked once, maybe twice, and then they don't even put their name in again. Or maybe they, they ask out that really, can I say this, hot guy or a girl, I can't. You guys all got offended. I saw that. <laughs> Good-looking guy or girl. And then they get turned down. And so they're like, I just, I'm not going to try that again. And they settle. They settle in life. 
So that can happen to us. We can, we can try and then have things not go our way, and then we give up. And then there are people who, I mean, they're just kind of born into adversity, right? And maybe they're born uh, in, in, into poverty, or they're born with health issues or, or family situations that, that fight against them. And so over time, they begin to just believe that the world is against them. And they, they, they stop trying altogether. And, and what we've seen in psychology is that this is what's called the victim mentality. The victim mentality. Here's a few signs from it. They're constantly blaming other people or situations for feeling miserable. They possess a life-is-against-me philosophy. They think that others are purposely trying to hurt them. They're cynical or pessimistic. And get this, this is probably the biggest one. They feel powerless to change their circumstances. You know some people like that? Have you, have you ever been like that? Felt like that? And I would say that pretty much everyone in the world took on, I would say, the victim mentality through COVID. I mean, right? I mean, most of the world had this feeling that, oh, no, we are powerless to affect our situation, and it's going to be terrible. Life is going to be horrible. It's never going to be the same again. We're never going to meet together in church or be able to go to work. You know, all these, right? I mean, that's what was kind of being pushed on us during that time. So that's the victim mentality or the victim mindset. And I would say the opposite to that is to be victorious or to have a victor mindset. And we're going to talk about that today. And I'm excited because I believe that God does not want us to walk around as a victim. He wants us to walk around as a victor. And you know, there's not a lot of letters different in that, right? And it, the reality is, I don't think that there is a big difference in those mindsets, but there has to be a huge shift that takes place. And every one of us, I believe, every one of us can w be affected and put on the victim mindset. And every one of us can hear the truth and put on the victor mindset instead. So today we are finishing our message series titled Kingdom Mindsets training our thinking, and, and really the premise behind this is that, that we can put on the mindset of Christ, mindset of Christ, and, and there is a battle going on to take over our thoughts and to make it more like what the world has to offer. And uh, there's a scripture that says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we have arguments and pretensions that are trying to change our thinking, trying to take them captive. And we have to fight against that. And we have to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So today, I'm, I'm excited because we're going to be studying about a, a couple of young men who put on the victor mindset when everyone else was putting on the victim mindset. So you can turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. It'll be on the screen as well. You can use your phones if you'd like. Just don't text the whole time while we're reading the scripture. I'm looking around. I've done that myself. So anyway, 
um, Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And we are going to be studying about the children of Israel. So they have left Egypt, kind of leading into this. They've left Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, they've received the Ten Commandments, and they've marched all the way up to the edge of the promised land. And while they got there, once they got there, God commanded Moses to send out 12 men to go and explore the, the promised land for 40 days and to come back and give a report. So we're going to pick up in Numbers chapter 13, verse 27, when they gave their report. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but there's a problem. The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Those were giants. Uh, and then the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So they didn't do anything wrong at this point. I just want to point that out. They gave a report of the facts. There are giants in the land. Their cities are fortified. There's lots and lots of people in there, and they're very, very strong, right? So, so far, they just gave an honest report of the situation. But I love Caleb. He was one of the ones that, one of the 12. He says this, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Don't you love having the Caleb's in the room? We can, no, we can do it. We can do it. But, here's the response. Verse 31, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. See, now they're starting to stretch it, okay? They're getting past the, the facts. All the people we saw there of great size. That was a stretch too, right? All of the people. We saw the Nephilim there. Again, those were the giants. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So they give this bad report to the people, and they start exaggerating a little bit, and then it affects everybody else. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, That night... All the members, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and, and go back to Egypt. That, by the way, is the poverty mentality, right? I'm sorry, the victim mentality. The victim mentality. They had been slaves for 400 years. Just think about that. They had been slaves for 400 years. And nothing they tried ever worked for them to be able to live or to be released from their slavery and so they had taken on this victim mentality. And then God comes along and delivers them from Egypt. 
He takes them across the Red Sea. He takes them all the way there to the promised land. And as soon as they have any opposition, I mean, they had seen all these miracles, they immediately go back to the victim mentality. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly, gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. <laughs> then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. So God shows up. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have performed among them. And then we'll stop there, but to summarize what happens, God tells Moses, hey, I'm, I'm just going to kill them all. <laughs> We're just going to wipe them all out and kind of start all over again. And Moses talks him out of it and says, you can't, you can't kill them all out. <laughs> you just can't do that. And so he says, well, okay, so I'm not going to kill them all at once, but all the men that are over 20 years of age, I'm going to kill them over the next 40 years. And I'm going to have the whole Israelite nation wander the desert, the wilderness, for 40 years, one year for every day that the spies in, explored the land. And everyone over 20 years of age would die in the desert except for Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb are the only old men who end up making it into the promised land 40 years later. Well, I think that we can learn a lot from the story today because Joshua and Caleb had to put on a different mindset than the rest of the assembly, than the rest of the children of Israel. And so our message title is Victim versus Victor. And I'm going to give us some action steps of what Joshua and Caleb did, and hopefully we can learn from that ourselves. Uh, but first, let me pray. So, Lord, I come to you, and I pray that you would help me to communicate your truth today, because I believe that many of us need to hear this, because we are facing giants, and so we need you to help us to know how to handle the situation, God, because I know no matter what our circumstances are, Lord, you want us to walk victorious. So be with us now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so you can fill this in on your handout. We have a lie and a truth, and then we have some action steps that Joshua and Caleb took. First of all, the lie. When bad things happen to me, I have no control over the impact it makes. That's kind of that victim mentality, is that when bad things happen to me, I have no control over the impact that it makes. So the children of Israel who put on that, that mindset pretty quickly they, they responded, once they heard that there were giants in the land, they responded with sorrow and fear. They immediately began to regret every good decision they had made. You know, there was good decisions that they had made to follow Moses to the promised land. And they started to make different decisions, bad decisions, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. 
See, that's this idea that I'm faced with this difficult situation and I have no control over what's going to happen. The reality is, is guys, we are going to face difficult times in our lives. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Right? It's, it's going to happen. But those circumstances don't need to define us. Right? We can, we can respond differently. We can actually have some control over our response to the situation. That's our fill-in, the truth. Even when bad things happen to me, through Christ, I can still respond and affect the outcome because I believe that we can respond differently and it will affect the outcome. The 10 spies, so there were 12 of them, right? They all saw the same things. 10 of them responded in fear and two of them responded in courage, I should say. God actually wipes out the 10. He didn't wait for 40 years. He actually killed them with a, struck them down like right after all of this happened. So they responded to their situation in fear and they died. Basically, it was the self-fulfilling prophecy. Caleb and Joshua responded in, you know, in courage and they both made it into the promised land. So their response dictated their future, not their circumstances. So here's some of the steps that they took, and I think we can learn from them. First of all, they stated the promise of God in the face of the facts. They stated the promise of God in the face of the facts. See, the, the facts were there. I mean, they really were strong people. <laughs> they really did have fortified cities. We know about Jericho, right? It was one of the fortified cities. They were warriors. I mean, so these are the facts. But Caleb and Joshua looked past the facts and looked at the promises of God. They said, we should go up and take possession of, of the land, for we can certainly do it. Now, Caleb didn't, didn't argue the facts. He didn't say that the facts weren't true. He just looked past them and looked at the promises of God. Now, what is the promise of God? In this situation, in Exodus chapter 6, God spoke to Moses. This is while they were still captives and slaves in Egypt. And he says this, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So the whole Israelite nation knew this promise. And the first part of the promise was, I will deliver you out of the yoke of slavery. God did it. This next one is, I will take you to the promised land. They were at the promised land. The next part to be fulfilled is, I will give you the promised land. And they are, whoa, I don't know. Did you see the giants? I mean, I don't know if you can do it because there's giants in the land. Well, Joshua and Caleb knew the promise, and they're like, no, we can, we can do it. Don't be afraid. We can take this land. It's being given to us. In fact, in uh, chapter 13, 
when, he was, when the Lord was sending the 12 out, he says this, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. So the promise was that I'm going to give you the land. And that was in direct contrast to the facts. So today, as I was putting this message together this week, I felt like there would be some people here today who are facing some difficult facts. You know, and, and it doesn't make sense to try to discredit the facts. Facts are facts. Truth is truth, right? It doesn't make sense to um, try to come up with an alternate truth. But Caleb and Joshua looked beyond the facts to the promise of God. And so you may be facing some difficult facts today, some situations in your life, and you need to remember God's promises for you. Each of us, I believe, has heard from God at some point, whether it's through Scripture or prophetic word or maybe just a song or a prayer, and you know some of the promises that God has given you, and they will fly in the face of the facts, but we need to look beyond the facts sometimes and hang on to the promises of God. Facts are that most churches that start, especially around COVID, won't make it. Those are the facts. Facts were when Rose and I went to plant this church is, is that we were too old. <laughs> You're too old. You can't, you can't plant a church. You know, the, the, there were a lot of facts stacked against us. You know, I went through a divorce. Rose, Rose's husband was killed in a car accident. So this is a second marriage with, with children. And the facts are that 75% of second marriages with children end up in divorce. Right? I mean, there, these facts were laid out against us in so many ways, and we just had to go, I know those are the facts, but here, here's the promises of God. And we have to hang on to those, and each of us has a story like that. You have facts that are stacked against you. And again, I'm not telling you to try to discredit them, but we might need to ignore them and hang on to the promises of God. I know, I know some of you here today, and I know the situations you're challenged with, but I would just say, believe the promises of God. Believe the promises of God over the facts that you see. One of the things that I, I love about God is that he, he changes the rules. <laughs> we see the facts. You know, the children of Israel were pinned against the Red Sea, there's no way they could swim across or take their children across. And, and Pharaoh and the Egyptians were coming against them. And the facts are they're, they're, they're stuck. And so what does God do? He says, well, I'm going to change the narrative. And I'm going to part the Red Sea and let you all walk across on dry land and then close it in over the Egyptian army. And what? I never even thought of that. You know, if you think about that, how, how is that even possible? Well, God just changes the situation. He can, every single time. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So even when the facts are telling us otherwise, we can still trust and believe in God's promises for our life. 
So that's the first thing they did. They stated the promise of God in the face of the facts. The second thing, and I think this is really important in our culture today, is they didn't back down even when others opposed them. So in verses 6 through 8 of chapter 14, Joshua and Caleb are restating why we should go into the promised land. And their response in verse 10 is this, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. So Joshua and Caleb were, were outnumbered, right? There were 10 spies who said, no way, we can't do this. They were, they were just two out of 10 or two out of 12. And then they had the whole assembly saying, we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't do this. Well, what I love about them, even in the face of being stoned, they didn't back down. They continued to state the truth. They continued to state the promises of God. And we need to be willing to do that as well. Good-meaning people are sometimes the biggest enemy of our faith. Because they want what's best for you. They're good-meaning. So they're, they're thinking about you, and they're saying, wow, you shouldn't give so much money to the church because you need to buy a new car. Right? You shouldn't do that. Or, you know, why do you go to two services on Sunday? I mean, that's a little much, isn't it? I mean, don't you need to spend more time with your family? Or why do you go to church at all? Every, I mean, you don't need to go every Sunday because, you know, you need to take some time off. You need to rest. Why do you read your Bible? Why do you wake up an hour early? Shouldn't you? Shouldn't you be doing something? Go to work early. I mean, people will give us all kinds of good advice. And I will tell you, God's call in our life is many times opposite of others' good advice. We need to be willing to ignore the facts and ignore the conversation. Right? We need to be willing to do that. Here's your fill-in on that point. I'm not going to go into that one much more. It's just sometimes the best thing we can do is to tell someone else to stop talking. That's the Christian way of saying shut up. <laughs> and we just do. It's like, I just, I, mm, mm -mm. I don't want to hear it. God's telling me to do this. I'm going to do it. Really? You should, nope, I'm going to do this. You know, I know of people who are like, I think I'm going to put my kids in Christian school. Oh, what, why would you do that? That's, that's going to cost you thousands of dollars. Yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. You know, just, just decisions and things like that, we, we just have to be willing to go against the current. Go against the current. So they didn't back down even when others opposed them. And then this last one, they knew their victory was completely dependent on God. Completely dependent on God. Verse 8 says, if, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land. A land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. See, he knew that it was God who had to lead them and had to give it to them. They didn't have much of an army. I mean, they were just all slaves like 60 days earlier. Probably didn't have 
swords, didn't have shields, didn't know how to fight. They hadn't been training for battle. They're, they've, been in a, they've been slaves for 400 years. They knew how to make bricks, and they knew how to raise sheep, but that was about it. So they, they knew that there's no way we can take this land without God. He was going to have to lead us, and he was going to have to give it to us. Let me, let me illustrate this. So if you were signing up for a three-on-three tournament, all right, so it's you, and, and you're looking at all this opposition, and you're like, I don't know which bracket I should go into. I don't know if I'm good enough. To, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about any one of us, all right? Whether you've ever played basketball before in your life. If, if you had your other two players were Steph Curry and LeBron James, all right? who are, by the way, two of the best NBA basketball players right now actively playing, if they were your other two on your three-on-three, would you worry about winning or losing? Would you worry about which tournament you're signing up for? Right? I mean, you wouldn't even have to shoot the ball, and they probably wouldn't want you to shoot the ball, right? (laughs) You would know that no matter what game you play, no matter who you went up against, because of who was on your team, you're going to win. That's the attitude we need to have when facing opposition in our life. Because we have the God of the universe on our team. In fact, we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You don't even get to play. You're probably sitting on the bench, right? And they're out there winning every match for you. But in life, we sometimes have some defeats. We pray for something. And we didn't see it happen. It didn't come true. And, and so we start to think, I don't know if my prayers are good enough. We, we try to invite someone to church or we share the gospel with them and they, they ignore us and, or maybe they make fun of us. Something like that. And so we decide, I don't think I can ever share the gospel again. Or maybe we stretched into an area of ministry and it didn't turn out so well. See, life has a way of conditioning us to have the victim mentality, even spiritually. And we begin to just think, I don't know if, I don't know that I can win. When the whole time we've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit on our team, ready to fight for us, ready to win every battle for us, all we have to do is get in the game. All we have to do is say, I'm in. All we have to do is take those steps and say, yes. I can do this. We have to start saying I can instead of I can't. And for some of us, it's saying I will instead of saying I won't. Because God is for us. There is a a story in the Bible where Jesus' disciples were talking to him and he was talking about what it was going to take to get into the kingdom of God. And his disciples were like, whoa, how, how can anyone get to heaven? I mean, just this, like, we got to be perfect, but, you know, we, we can't sacrifice all this. How in the world are we ever going to make it into heaven? And Jesus already knew how this was all going to work, right? He knew he was going to die on the cross. He was going to be the payment for all of our sin, and we can, just had to accept his payment. But they didn't understand all of that. But Jesus said this. He said in Matthew chapter 19, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. See, God is that, that X factor. 
You know, when we look at these impossible situations that are facing us, we, we have God who nothing is impossible with God, right? He created everything that we see. He's incredibly powerful. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Another version says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can do this through Christ because we, he is our superpower. <laughs> we can't do it on our own. Romans 8.31 says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? If Father, Son, Holy Spirit's on my team, who's going to even have a chance against me? Right? I mean, it's just like, come on. If God is for us, nobody has a chance against us. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. He's, he can rewrite the rules. You know, we don't have to be discouraged by the facts. We don't have to be discouraged by the people around us. We just have to look at his promises and hang on to that and know that he is capable to do it all. Anything and everything, he can do it. Your last fill-in is, with God, the impossible is accomplishable. The impossible is accomplishable. For homework this week, I want you to spend some time and ask yourself the question, if I knew if I, knew I couldn't fail, what would I do? And then spend some time with God and see what he's asking you to do. Heard someone say this one time, if you're dream is accomplishable by your own strength, then you're dreaming too small. We shouldn't limit our hopes and our dreams by what we can see us accomplishing. We've got to throw in the X factor, right? We've got to throw God into the equation. And we need to dream big dreams and watch God come through. So those... Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofinner.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.